Welcome to Break Away from the Rat Race, a podcast series to awaken your entrepreneurial spirit and help you achieve financial freedom. On our show, you'll learn about investments and how to create passive income. Let's get started with your host, Eric Martel. Welcome back. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of a shocker uh, title, Don't Save for Retirement. So you read correctly. And um, basically, in the next few minutes, I will explain why uh, I don't think you should save for retirement. Uh, There are other alternatives, uh, and I'm thinking more like invest for retirement instead of just passively save uh, for investments. And uh, really, then, uh, what I would like to start with is have a quick look back, really spend like a minute or two to explain the change in mentality or in philosophy around um, around retirement and who should uh, be, um, how we should be financing or preparing for retirement. Uh, and basically, prior to 1800, uh, people would uh, work until they die. Basically, that was the uh, that was the, the mentality at the time. There was really nothing else after that. So you worked till you die, or you became disabled. Uh, but in those days, the life expectancy was about 40 years. So. Uh, it was still okay. Uh, during the 1920, um, so after the World War One, this was the what we call the Roaring Twenties, and then the U.S. went through a massive um, economic boom uh, led by technology such as radios and automobiles. Yeah, that's right. In those days, these were technologies, and then um, in those days, people had money. Uh, they had um, good jobs, good money. Uh, they were able to afford uh, automobiles and all the technologies that were becoming available. And uh, many of them also invested in the stock market. Uh, some of them felt, uh, because the stock market kept going up and up, uh, people felt that they were really great investors because their stock, they kept making more and more money. Uh, if we look at it uh, in around here, it's not, uh, it's really a blip in the overall Dow Jones Industrial Average curve over, uh, you know, the last uh, 100 or so years. So it's re- it really doesn't record that much. But this is what it looked like to them. You know, starting in 1918, uh, all to get the way to 1928, you can see that, you know, the stock market was really growing rapidly. It almost looks like uh, this was going very rapidly. But in 1929, uh, you all remember the crash, and then it really came crashing down, and then it was the beginning of the Great Depression. Uh, and millions of Americans at the time saw their life savings evaporate, and um, they became more aware of a need to provide for their future economic security. Um, so they wanted to uh, have more, more security. And in 1935, uh, around here, uh, the Social Security Act uh, basically was passed and it provided basic income protection to retired workers. So that way they wouldn't necessarily, uh, if something happened with their money, their savings, they would still be able to retire relatively comfortably. Uh, as the economy improved, over the years here, uh, the, um, the idea that employees should have some kind of defined benefit at retirement gained more attraction, right? So, and then it led to the increase in the creation 
of private pension plans. So companies were then able, they were doing very well, so they were able to afford to pay uh, defined benefit pensions to their employees. And for the next few generations, couple of generations, if you had a good job with an established company, I mean, basically your retirement was, uh, was secured, was safe. Um, you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to save. <clears throat> and then, uh, and most of the employees, they felt they would, they would work for the same company <coughs> their entire career. This came, though, to a, a little bit of, a, of an issue in 1963 uh, when the Studebaker company uh, went bankrupt. In and of itself, it's not a big deal, but this bankruptcy uh, actually brought on the collapse, the collapse of the pension plan and uh, for its employees. Um, and then that triggered uh, a lot of uh, a growing change really with respect to defined benefit plan and how the employees felt about their, their pension plan, how safe they were. And um, so employees wanted and demanded more protection, and they also demanded more control. They wanted to make sure that their money was invested wisely, and then uh, by, uh, you know, so that basically that their pension was secure. And it took a while, but in 1978, right here, uh, this is when the uh, Revenue Act was passed. And uh, that really cleared the way to define contribution plan. So a few years earlier, there was a, another act, the ERISA Act, that really provided more security around the retirement. But in 1978, this is when uh, there's basically an answer to the employees' uh, demand for more control and the ability to save by themselves for their retirement. And um, so that Revenue Act of 1978 um, cleared the way for defined contribution by allowing uh, employees to save for retirement with their pre-taxed dollars. Um, so that was, uh, and this is also in this in that act where we have the 401k. So this is actually a section 401k of that act that really began the for what we know today as a 401k. But over the years after that, it was, uh, it was really a shift uh, on the responsibility for creating that retirement income. And it basically shifted from the employer who was uh, ensured that the pension plan was funded, that there was enough reserve and all of that, and it was invested properly. And it shifted to the employees who basically at retirement, they were able, they would basically buy the, the pension that they were able to afford. Uh, but employees, uh, especially at the time, they were largely unprepared to make the making any kind of investment decision or to save adequately. How much should I save? How long? And what what's um, you know? And where should I invest the money? But from that point on, this is you can see that more and more money was coming into the stock market, and this is one of the factors that caused the stock market to. To rise so rapidly is because of that influx of money into mutual fund into all kinds of 401k uh, plan to basically uh, invest in the stock market 
Uh, and this is also when, when that, uh, the call to save for retirement grew louder and louder because a lot of these mutual funds, a lot of these uh, financial institutions, they wanted the money. Uh, so they wanted to get as much money as possible so that they can invest. And um, so this is pretty much what, uh, what happened here. So, um, but then they keep saying, save money, save money. Uh, but what are we saving money for? Uh, the plan was that at retirement you would uh, buy an annuity and what is an annuity it's a financial product where you pay a premium uh, and to receive in exchange to uh, to receive a regular cash flow regular stream of income but that payment that premium that to pay so it's not an investment you're not investing that money uh, somewhere you're basically paying a stream of income you're buying a product so that amount of money that you are paying the premium is gone a little bit like uh, when you uh, you buy an insurance company uh, insurance uh, insurance for the house and stuff that premium is now belongs to the uh, to the insurance company so it's the same for the annuity is that when you buy this particular uh, product that premium is gone and now belongs to the insurance company so when we look at passive income and stream of income, it doesn't matter which uh, type of investment we're looking at. We're always looking for some criteria uh, that are beneficial uh, to us, right? So for us, we're looking for obviously steady and reliable cash flow. We want to make sure that we can rely on that uh, cash flow to come in um, and we don't have to worry about it. Uh, it's going to continue after death so that uh, I don't have to worry about that either. And it's also going to be indexed with inflation. So if I live for a very long time, then at least my purchasing power will stay relatively the same. And I also want something that's going to be passed on to my next generation. So I want to build a legacy uh, for, uh, for my children and my grandchildren. And this is what we're looking for, really for passive income. So. So as an example, so how much can I get if I had a million dollars that I've saved in 401k and now I want to convert that into an annuity and go to an insurance company and I go there. So uh, you can look at AARP calculator here. Uh, there's also there's a bunch of other annuity calculator that you can uh, you can look online and then you can uh, calculate this. Um, the amount of money that you would get with a million dollars so this is what I've done here and the first one is if you're a single and you don't get any refund so that means that at, as this is a male at 65 years old that's gonna retire immediately convert it's one million dollars so that year that uh, 65 year old male will receive sixty eight thousand dollars a year for that um, so the no refund piece means that if he dies after a few months then the payments will stop and this is it there's no additional the, the the insurance company doesn't have to pay anything else beside the two months that they've paid so no refund in terms of reimbursing at least uh, the amount of money that you've paid in premium if you go with joint so uh, um, Two, uh, two partners, uh, both 65 years of age, 
you will get about fifty-six thousand dollars <coughs> a year in uh, in payment, right? For the one million dollars that you put uh, in there. Uh, also, what we want we want something that's um, that's adjusted for inflation. So this is the next one here, uh, and then for when you adjust it for inflation, so it starts a lot lower, as you can see, it starts at. $35,000 and goes all the way up to $84,000 at age 100. Uh, so obviously if you need more, what it, this means is that if you need more money than $35,000 initially, that means you need to get more than $1 million in premium. But here we want to stick to that $1 million <coughs> in premium and then we're at uh, $35,000. <coughs> This assumes that the inflation is about 2.775%. So it's going to maintain um, a pretty good, decent pace with, the, um, with inflation, with uh, the purchasing power. So that when you're age 100, then at least your, uh, your purchasing power is relatively, um, is relatively good. Um, then we have the joint inflation adjusted. So this is the same as the joint inflation uh, adjusted and then but with the refund this one has a refund this one has no refund right so so that's where we are here so this is what we have um, so what's wrong with this picture um, so th there's a couple of things that I find that is uh, a little bit uh, uh, difficult uh, to uh, to kind of uh, decide as a that this is a good choice a good product one of them is that this is not really an investment uh, so once you pay your premium the principal no longer has any value so it now that premium belongs to the insurance company and what you get is a stream of income um, so it doesn't leave any legacy so if you have a joint uh, annuity life annuity and both people died both parents died then nothing goes to the uh, to the descendant that's the end that's the end of it also that has a lot of high fees and uh, what I've looked at uh, there's a number of fees but in general you can count on four to ten percent maybe sometimes even more than ten percent in order to um, to get that that annuity so that means if you want to have like a million dollars uh, payout um, to be used for a payout then you're gonna have to uh, find like a hundred thousand dollars in in commission that you're going to have to pay on top of that. <coughs> um, also, on that uh, joint uh, joint indexed uh, for inflation annuity, uh, the payout percentage initially is very low. It's three point two percent of your payout uh, of your um, of the amount of uh, of the premium. So it is pretty low. Later on, yes, it is a little bit higher. It could go like uh, about 8% uh, when you're age uh, 100. But this payout is not really, you shouldn't look at it as a return on your investment. Because first of all, it's not an investment. Uh, but um, you should look at it. Uh, because if you look at it from the an investment perspective, is that the first 23 years of uh, of the annuity, the insurance companies is basically repaying the amount of money that uh, that you've given them. Uh, so first, you go with a um, million dollars in negative that you've given to the um, 
to the insurance company. And then over the next 23 years, the insurance company is basically repaying you uh, every year. So uh, here I'm using the, uh, the indexed uh, annuity here. But uh, basically at age, 20, at age 88, um, you, are, you have your return on investment is 0% because you're basically where you started. I had a million dollars at the beginning. I gave it to the insurance company. And then 23 years later, I have been given back a million dollars. If you live all the way to 100 years old, then your return, your annualized return, uh, so for the life of the annuity, is 3.1%. Not a good. Uh, so it's easy to get 3.1% in other types of investment. And this is what we're going to talk about next is what are the other alternative investment to the annuity. So one of the easy one is uh, ETF. Um, so do a spider ETF. Uh, normally they earn about 6.3% uh, annually, no fees, no hassle. It's basically reflect exactly how the S&P, uh, what the S&P is. Um, so you know, and the amount that you put in there in the ETF still has value. So it's not gone. It hasn't evaporated. So it's still there. Uh, so it provides a legacy. It continues to pay out even if you pass away. Um, so, you know, this is pretty, pretty good investment. Um, another one is real estate investment. Um, rental properties. Uh, you can easily get um, a 10% cash on cash, uh, a cash flow on these uh, on these properties uh, they are uh, the increase with inflation because you can increase the rent basically with inflation um, the amount invested can also be leveraged with that one million dollars you can get you know five million dollars in assets uh, with um, you know with a mortgage and then the value of these properties also increase over time. So something that, you know, on top of getting the cash flow, you're also getting appreciation. Um, it also provides a legacy. So your properties, your rental properties can be passed on to your children. And obviously the tenants are going to continue to pay whether you die or not. So the cash flow will continue after death. So to me, this is a pretty good investment uh, in, uh, in terms of, all the different uh, criteria that we're looking for for passive income. Another one that's also very good <clears throat> is a being, become a private money lender, uh, basically working, uh, lending money to investors. Um, on uh, We prefer on real estate project. It doesn't have to be a real estate project. Uh, but basically, if you invest in real estate project, you can get between 8 and 12% uh, annual uh, interest and they pay out normally on a monthly basis. I mean, that's what we do. We pay out the interest on a monthly basis to our investors. And then the amount is also secured by real estate. So there's a lien on the property for that, um, for the amount of the loan. Um, again, the amount invested at that point still has value. Uh, it, uh, it provides a legacy, it still pays out interest, whether you pass away or not. So this is uh, also a pretty good investment, pretty clean. You don't have to be a landlord if you don't want to. Uh, and then, you know, 
you, the only thing is that you need to find investors that you can rely on. You need to constantly look at due diligence on their on some of these investments. Um, so it's a little bit more uh, work, but it's uh, kind of like paperwork that you have to look at to make sure that um, you know that everything is um, is in order with these investments. There are obviously other alternatives that you can look at, uh, but these are just kind of like the few very common ones. You can also look at bonds and T-bills and all of that and invest in those. Again, working on those and investing on those on a regular basis. There's also uh, dividend stocks that you can look at. Some of them pay a pretty good, um, pretty good dividend. But uh, so this is what uh, what I have today. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me and I'll be happy to help you. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.